Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who would record in the past or in the future, but not always in the present. Oh, as long as he had his tea. My old-fashioned friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I'm doing wonderful today. I've got some chamomile tea to make sure my voice is all ready to podcast about Spider-Man today. You know, I was looking forward to having a old-fashioned chat. You in the mood? Uh, of course, James B. I love talking to you. All right. Plus, uh, I figured you might want to uh, put on your special uh, uh, tea party hat. <laughs> if I had it, I think I need a special tea party hat <laughs> for whenever I'm having tea. <laughs> well, whenever I'm having a good old-fashioned chat about Spider-Man, I'd like to have a Spider-Man expert with us. That's right. Today, we're joined by Kevin Ewing uh, from our friends over at Drunk Pete. He's read... 2000 Spider-Man comics, and we are titillated to have you join us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, Kevin? Wow, not sure I ever titillated anyone before, but I'm great. <laughs> Thanks for having me back on. It's a genuinely fun pleasure to be here to talk about these wacky uh, Marvel team-up issues. Thank you so much, Kevin. James B., I've got to take off. Why don't you uh, tell us about these Wait, books? Where are, you, where are you going? I have important things to do. I'm terribly sorry. I'll be back. You're like Peter Parker running away in the middle when when things are important, but I'll be like the characters in the in the book and not really seem to care that much. Don't ask too many questions. I promise I'll be fine. All right. I'll just call you a coward behind your back. You go away. <laughs> me All and, right. Me and Kevin can take care of this. Wonderful. Kevin, why don't you... Uh, we have a bunch of issues to talk about today. Why don't you read the title, and I'll do the summary for the first one. Sounds good. Our first issue is from April 1973. It's Marvel Team-Up number 8, Spidey and the Cat, The Man-Killer Moves at Midnight, by Jerry Conway with Jim Mooney on art. Spider-Man is attacked by the Cat, a superheroine who only wants to show him her powers. Uh, Spider-Man did this in issue 1 to the Fantastic Four, so what goes around comes around, I say. Now, James B., do you know who the Cat eventually becomes? A couple years ago, maybe, uh, when I was watching Daredevil, uh, the have you ever seen Daredevil, the um, Marvel d- show for, on Netflix? Yeah. Okay. Um, I was starting to get a little confused about um, Patsy versus, and that's, you know, um, Jessica Jones' friend. Yes. I don't know if you, okay. I was watching her, and then I had been reading about, like, Hellcat um, in The Avengers a little bit, and I actually do know a little bit about Tigra. So I remember thinking, things are getting a little wacky here for me. So I'll tell you what I remember, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But this one who's the cat back here in 1973, she's going to become Tigra at some point. And somehow, is it the other girl, Patsy Walker, who gets the cat's old costume? You got it. That's exactly right. Yeah, this is Greer Nelson. Um, Somehow, some way... Some type of cat people um, save her from death's door, and through the through the art of saving her, she gets some fur, some claws, and some sharp teeth. And for whatever reason, after that, she only wanted to dress in a bikini for a costume. And then this costume, like you said, goes to Patsy Walker, who became Hellcat. Yeah, I know that there's two Marvel team-ups with Tigra. I think Craven is in both of them as well. Uh, I think the first time Tiger is like, you know, manipulated by Craven to like fight Spider-Man. Big surprise, right? Yeah. Um, I also think the first Tiger issue, because I'm a bit of a comic collector, 
it's in something it's like an issue number one of like a weird title it might be like marvel monsters one or something like that do you happen to know what it is i don't know her first issue now okay i almost i almost got it once and then i kind of missed out on it and then i was kicking myself later it's one of those like mm-hmm. oh i was so close to buying this and things didn't work out for me so i kind of know about that but this is this is way more than people need to know because we're only one sentence into this <laughs> issue so i'm gonna i'm gonna whip through this and in, in about five more sentences wrap up the whole book here we go um so anyway the cat in this issue has been tracking katrina van horn an ex-skier turned man-killer who simply appears to be a woman killing male politicians. She wears like an exoskeleton after a ski accident against a man caused all her bones to be broken when she fell off a cliff. Ah! She's funded by a militant group and with a horde of women behind her back, she attacks the Harlem power plant, but Spider-Man and the cat show up and mostly stop her. The cat later reveals to Katrina that her exoskeleton has been funded by AIM, an evil organization ruled by men. The man-killer is so distraught, she just stands there and the book ends. Kevin, what happened to the man-killer at the end of this issue? Why didn't she just stop? (laughs) Well, you know, she's a radical feminist and she just couldn't stand the thought of being funded by men. And her hatred of that caused her to just lose the will to move and she apparently entered a catatonic-like state. And I actually have a theory that George Lucas read this comic in 1973, and he drew inspiration from it for Star Wars movies because in Revenge of the Sith, Padme Amidala lost the will to live after her husband Anakin went dark and murdery. So my guess is George got that from here, and he's never credited Jerry Conway for it. And here I was getting ready to make some kind of derogatory comments about this particular issue. And then maybe this is the inspiration for one of the greatest sagas of all time. So I'm going to ponder that for a little bit and um, I'll get back to you soon. The next book I think is a little better, but a little more serious as well. Why don't you give us the title of that one? I'll do the second summary as well. Sure. This is Marvel Team Up number nine from May 1973, featuring Spider-Man and Iron Man, entitled The Tomorrow War, and written by Jerry Conway with art by Ross Andrew. And a special appearance by Chris Pratt. Is it Tomorrow War? Is that the actor who, did I get the wrong actor? It was, yes. I've never seen that movie, but I think you're right. Okay. Uh, Something is going on in downtown New York, but Peter doesn't want to get involved. Does he have six arms again? Uh, no, Eddie. Um, he doesn't want to get involved because he feels he has enough troubles of his own without getting involved in these big world-level threats. Uh, this one is happening at Avengers Mansion. It's got some sort of force field around it. Iron Man is trying to get in when Spider-Man decides he may as well check it out since Harry is annoyed with him back in the apartment. After making his jokes, he joins Iron Man and they jump in a break in the force field and they find themselves in limbo. A spaceship flies up to them with Zarko the Tomorrow Man at the controls. Now, James B., this has a spaceship in it, and if I remember correctly from your earlier podcast, these these things really aren't your cup of tea, right? You're not a fan of these issues? No, I like my Spider-Man, like my Amazon Prime trucks, just hanging around the neighborhood, making people happy. None of this space nonsense or Doctor Strange stuff. Kevin, No Way Home was about as much as I could handle. Real quick, are you okay with like the whole cosmic Spidey world? 
I certainly prefer street-level adventures in my Spider-Man comics, but I think the occasional jaunt into outer space or into another dimension can be fun. Okay, well, you can let me know how you like it as Zarko brings the heroes to the 23rd century, annoying James B. even more. Uh, They're just so casual about it. Whenever Spider-Man does these things... Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Anyway, they're fighting Zarko's enemy who has a fortress and minions, but they purposely like don't reveal who this enemy is. Right. Uh, there's this giant robot <laughs> and it crushes Iron Man with like one punch and it damages him big time. Um, Eddie, are you okay if I keep going? I can't wait to hear more. Please continue. Okay, Eddie. Uh, Spider-Man takes out the robot by himself and then he rushes off to fight the villain. And it turns out it's Kang the Conqueror. And that surprises me because... That's an A-level villain in, like, a C-level comic. Uh, He has all the Avengers captured, too. They're all these, like, glass cases. Well, Kang easily takes out Iron Man and Spidey, but then Zarko shows up from behind, and he holds Kang at gunpoint as the comic ends. So, James B., I have a question from earlier on in the issue. Um, Peter and Harry kind of showed a lot of animosity toward each other. Do you think that's being written consistent to the concurrent Amazing Spider-Man issues? Yeah, um, so as you know, we've been doing the Amazing Spider-Man issues for a while. We're up past 100 now. We're only eight or so issues into these. Uh, and we've done two other issues. Also, Kevin, we did a uh, Marvel superheroes book, and we did like a little fun uh, book with the multiverse of uh, badness guys. It was like a Spider-Man special book. But these 10 issues do have something in common. They do try to bring in the secondary uh, characters, but... They always have like a flighty MJ or a lovely Gwen or an annoying Harry or Spider-Man hating J. Jonah Jameson or J. Jonah Jameson hating Spider-Man. And they, it's the same thing every time. So every time I've seen Harry, he's basically been pretty much annoying. Harry, this is the second time recently I can think of him being annoyed. Um, it happens in the Morbius one, believe that he's, he's annoyed that Peter's making all this noise. But the bigger battle here, Kevin, is not Harry and Peter. It's... Like, Zarko and Kang are facing off. Uh, this Zarko guy shows up. I'm like, I barely recognize him. I know who he is. Does he seem like the kind of person that could take on Kang the Conqueror? Yeah, it's like you said earlier. Kang is an A-lister. I mean, when you talk about a true, quote-unquote, true Avengers-level threat, he's it. And it's usually, you know, bad business when he shows up. And also, uh, when you look at the MCU, it looks like they might be positioning him to be the, the big bad of their Phase 4. But... I don't know. Apparently back then, Kang couldn't take down a balding, out of shape, <laughs> older gentleman with a ray gun. Hey, let's uh, take it easy on those uh, balding, uh, out of shape, older gentlemen <laughs> okay, here. Okay. Well, you and I haven't done a Zoom call yet, so you really don't know who you're talking to. I don't have a lot up there myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can find some uh, products that, uh, that can help us with that. Uh, James B., is it time for a sponsor? Um, it is, Eddie. It's not the kind of sponsor that will help me with my uh, with my dome here. But um, it is a sponsor that you might enjoy. Eddie, you have two girls. And if you don't want your daughter's hearts to be broken by boys, I have a quick solution. You can keep being a great dad by having your wife call Katrina Van Horn, the man killer. She will take care of those pesky boyfriends before they break your daughter's hearts. Katrina is also available to help with you know, difficult male teachers or difficult male uber bellhops and lots of other people, male ones, who might bother your daughters. 
Katrina is also available to teach your wife skiing lessons. Katrina Van Horn is on the cover of this month's Ladies Home Journal, and she has a five-star rating on NerdWallet. So, Eddie, are you going to call Katrina Van Horn to help with that pesky man problem? You know, James B., I'm not terribly interested in this service. It sounds kind of risky. Are you sure, Eddie? It would help ensure your girls will never leave you. They can be home with you forever. (laughs) Uh... I'm afraid not. I'm just not interested in uh, this particular service you Uh, are trying to do today. (laughs) uh, Kevin, you have two daughters. Can you see the value in your wife contacting Katrina Van Horn to help you with anything? Well, listen, you know, I'm sure that whoever my daughters choose as their partners, I'm sure that they will be well-respecting individuals and there probably won't be any problems. But you never know. And on the off chance that there is a problem, it sounds like that Katrina may be, may be a good option. Well, Eddie, if the girls are unhappy in your future because there's some man in some level of control over them in any way, uh, you're to blame. Uh, maybe it's you that's causing them the problems. We should really talk about that later. Hey, um, speaking of uh, the future, um, let's get back to these books. Yes, let's go back to the future. This next book involving the future here is from 1973, uh, June. Um, It's Marvel Team Up 10, Spidey and the Human Torch, Time Bomb by Jerry Conway and art by Jim Mooney. Why don't you do this one for us, Kevin? Okay, and it is the future indeed, James B. We pick up events in the 23rd century as Zarko reveals to Kang his plan to use chronal radiation to turn the 20th century back to the Stone Age, with the exception of a nuclear weapons depot in North America, nuclear weapons with which he plans to take out Kang. Now, James B., did you think that Zarko the Tomorrow Man might not be a bad guy? Uh, I was like 80% sure he was on our side. I was like, oh, this guy's going to be good. And then I thought, well, yeah. and then I saw him battling Kang. I'm like, great. And uh, I was I, I was fooled, I admit it. How about you? Any any thoughts? I wish I could say I saw it coming, but I remember the first time I read this, I did not. They got me. Yeah, that's good. It's because this Zarko guy doesn't seem like a threat at all. That's why, yeah. right? While Zarko expositions, the incapacitated Iron Man tells Spider-Man to escape while he can to fight another day. Spidey conveniently comes across a very easy-to-use time machine that sends him back to the present-day 20th century, and luckily enough, it conveniently drops him right in the headquarters of the Fantastic Four. Unfortunately, only Johnny Storm is home, so it's up to him and Spidey to stop the time bombs. Johnny takes a plane to Japan, where the chrono effects clue him to the location of the bomb. Meanwhile, Spider-Man catches a ride to Venezuela, webbed to the fuselage of a plane, where he too sees the effects of the time bomb. James B., what do you think of this issue so far? Man, I've got like three things to say just from just from half of the book. Johnny Storm took a plane, but Spider-Man attaches himself to a plane, and then according to his own words, almost suffocates. It sucks that Spider-Man can't just tell Johnny who he is and like say, dude, buy me a plane ticket. Um, Eddie... What do you think about Spider-Man telling Johnny Storm who he is? Perhaps we should look into this idea further. A couple other things. Eddie, it's an easy-to-use time machine for sure. I believe there's actually a sign that says, like, time portal. (laughs) Somebody had to, like, label it so he could use it. That bothers me. And what do you think, Kevin, of um, Iron Man saying, like, Spider-Man, go, escape all you can. And then Spider-Man's like, okay, I got this. 
I think it was a good job of Iron, you know, Iron Man. You know, he's pretty smart. Tony Stark is one of the smartest folks in the Marvel universe. So, I think if he gives Spider-Man a plan on on what to do, I think Spider-Man's gonna understand. He's gonna follow it, and and he knew that. Hey, yeah, this we're in pretty dire situation here. So I better get out of here so I can bring the cavalry. You and I have been kind of agreeing today. I'm gonna disagree on this one thing with you here. First of all, he doesn't know it's Tony Stark. It's Tony Stark's bodyguard in 1973. Ah, that's true. Uh, yes, you just got me on that one. But. Even either way, Spider-Man is often putting himself in danger for like, no, I can't believe this guy wouldn't be like, no, uh, I'm going to save you. Think of Tom Holland in the No Way Home movie. Would he be like, oh, all right, you know, I'm going to let you go. I mean, he's he's risking himself for like villains from another time period. He's risking himself. You don't think he would have tried a little harder to get Iron Man out of there? Yeah. You know what? You've swayed me. I think you're right. All right. Well. Let's kind of finish up this one here. What happens next? Okay, the Human Torch shows up on yet another plane ride to help destroy the bomb. Traveling around the globe seemed to be awfully easy and convenient back in 1973 (laughs) as the duo commandeer a two-seater plane to Greece. And just as Johnny's about to destroy the final bomb, Spider-Man stops him and disables it because he realizes it might help them defeat Zarko and Kang. Johnny then realizes that the chronal radiation was the same as that surrounding the Inhumans' home in the Himalayas and tells Spidey he has to go there alone. James B., what do you think about that ending? Maybe this is where No Way Home comes from. All these, like, time-traveling, you know, wait, don't destroy the bomb. Like, that seems very much like in No Way Home when they're like, all he has to do is push the button, right? Yeah. And he's like, no, don't, don't do this. I've got a completely... A much longer plan that will that will do something. But the thing that bothers me the most is at the end of the book, doesn't Johnny say like, hey, I can't help you save the world because my ex-girlfriend is there and I don't want to see her. That's exactly what it does. And, and Spidey, Spidey seems to be okay with that. He goes, okay, see you later. Right. Now, I understand Marvel Team Up wants to have one hero with Spider-Man each issue. But but they're like, no, no, we didn't have an excuse. What? Do you, oh, it, it's his ex-girlfriend. Well, and he says, like, it hurts too much. And he just takes off. Like, wow. They could have had a concurrent emergency that the, he had to go and help the Fantastic Four on or something. Something would have been better than this. <laughs> right. So we're, wow. Like, very, very selfish. And if, this is canon, right? These are 616 canon books. That is correct. So I can always, when I'm building up my arguments against Spider-Man and the Human Torch, and I'm always saying the Torch is way nicer, more responsible than Spider-Man, I can be like, uh, except the time the Torch wouldn't save the world because he didn't want to see Crystal. Right. Do you know who uh, do you know who Crystal marries later? Quicksilver. Yeah, he's, he's one of the guys trapped in the glass, you know. That's right. He is. It's true. Crystal doesn't appear, by the way, either in the issue. So if Johnny went to see the Inhumans, he That's wouldn't right. have seen her anyway. She doesn't. You're right. Does not appear in this issue. Uh, actually, why don't you tell us the name of the next issue and I'll do the final summary. Okay. Our last issue is from July 1973. It's Marvel Team-Up number 11 featuring Spider-Man and the Inhumans. The title is The Doomsday Gambit. And it's scripted by Len Wein with a plot from Jerry Conway and art by Jim Mooney. But there are eight other people that get credits on this issue. That's true. I think actually one person gets listed twice. But yeah, there's eight people getting credits all over this issue. At least this issue doesn't have the Human Torch in it. The Human Torch is the only person not listed in this in this intro. But Spider-Man reaches the Inhumans with a bunch of jokes. A whole bunch of jokes right in the beginning. It's actually kind of funny. And with Black Bolt's brother's help, he has an insane brother named uh, Maximus, the final bomb is altered 
and they use it to send Spider-Man and the Inhumans forward in time. Spider-Man and the Inhumans battle their way towards Kang and the Tomorrow Man, fighting through Kang's army of henchmen. And then finally, Spider-Man and the Inhumans reach the villains. I keep talking about Spider-Man and the Inhumans there. Uh, Kevin, I don't know how much you know about them. Um, I read Fantastic Four 1 to 300 a couple summers ago. What are your thoughts on the Inhumans? Yeah, I'm not an expert, and I haven't read a whole lot about them. I've I've never really connected with them uh, when they've appeared in in some of the issues that I have read. Uh, I guess there's maybe one exception. There was an excellent Marvel Knights imprint series in the late 90s uh, that you know I would highly recommend reading if you haven't. Each issue is kind of a great character study of all the main and human characters. But other than that, they just don't do much for me. Yeah, they're sort of like. Uh... Somewhere between the Enforcers and the Eternals, you know, they're just a group of randos. You know, I, I take that back. They're probably actually better than the Eternals and the Enforcers, but it's okay that they don't do much for you. There, There's a reason why there's not a lot of Inhumans books and they get relegated to, you know, being associated with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, so if you weren't aware, James B., uh, a couple years ago on the publishing side of things, they gave a big push to the Inhumans, and that was because Fox owned the movie rights to the X-Men. And once Disney purchased Fox and got those X-Men rights back, then they kind of threw away the Inhumans again and focused <laughs> on the X-Men again. Oh, of course. That makes good sense. Because like, yeah, we don't need him anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, just when Kang looks like he might have the upper hand, Black Bolt does what he does best, says like one word, uh, knocks out Kang, smashes the glass prisons, holding all the imprisoned Avengers, and uh, Tomorrow Man is captured. Kang pulls a Doctor Doom stunt, turns out to be a robot. Everyone returns in 1973. Spider-Man does acknowledge uh, Iron Man and Thor since he had been, uh, you know, in recent issues with them. Thor had been back in um, issue seven. And uh, yeah, the book ends. So uh, there's that. Did you notice any inconsistencies with the Avengers over the last few issues? Yeah, probably because I read these back to back to back to back. And if I was reading this, you know, on a monthly basis back when these came out, I probably wouldn't have. But there were a couple things. For example, the location of the Avengers that are encased in Kang's glass cages changes with each issue. The quantity of the cages changes between issues. And then in the last issue, when the Avengers are eventually freed, Jarvis and Captain America, who were shown in the glass cages in the earlier issue, are nowhere to be shown amongst the, the captured heroes. I guess we'll have to assume that, I don't know, the editors were a little swamped that month and just didn't notice this. Well, um, you know, we have our show notes in front of us. It's not a secret. So I'm just going to go back and check one thing here. It looks like the first book was written by Jerry Conway and drawn by Jim Mooney. Okay, so the artist changed once and then the writer changed once. So you, you didn't have the same exact person all the time drawing them and all the time writing them. That, that little that little difference can affect things, you know? Yeah, it could be. But, but boy, that's, I did not look in the background enough to see those guys. And what made you decide to like stare at them and be like, where's the Scarlet Witch compared to Quicksilver? Well, actually, another thing I didn't mention, it looked like, <coughs> excuse me, it looked like that the Black Panther was in the cages in the first issue. And then in the other issues, I noticed he wasn't there. So that's what made me first start kind of scrutinizing it a little harder. Sure, but nice catch. That makes up for your uh, argument with me before. The score is now uh, one-to-one. There we go. Thank you. Anyone else have something to add? Yeah, I would say is I think these were fun issues. I don't know that they were good issues per se, but yeah, they were fun. 
Okay. Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, the Drunk Pete thing one more time? Sure. Yeah, it's a reading club every Saturday night. Uh, we pick a predetermined issue. And right now we're going over some Moon Knight comics that he has appeared with Spider-Man, all thanks to the MCU show that recently debuted on Disney+. Plus. You going to do that the whole month of April? We are. Okay, April 2022. So if you're listening to this in the future... You've already missed it. Kevin, how can people uh, reach out to tell you how uh, great you are for reading 2,500 or whatever Spider-Man books? Yeah, they can reach out to me at on Twitter at Kevin Ewing 22 Eddie, how can people find us? You can email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you can find us at Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Or you can message us on Twitter. Well, I'm James B., joined by Eddie. And special guest, Kevin. And Kevin, take it away. And remember, listeners, no matter how much you are needed to help save the world, if it involves your ex-boy or girlfriend, you're allowed to sit that one out, no problem. Goodbye. 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 Kevin, did you? Uh, I gave you that choice when I when I talked to you the other day of doing Marvel teams or Spider Man books. Um, you could have had Amazing Spider Man. Are you regretting your decision to do Marvel team ups? I am not. I, you know, I'll admit it. I cheated a little bit. I looked at the you know kind of the quick synopsis of the ASM issues, uh, okay. and then I looked at who was featured in the team up issues, and okay. I thought, you know what, you know the. The better the issue, the better it is for a podcast. <laughs> so I went with the team up issues. Oh, so you think these are bad? Okay, all right. Well, let's. Well, I don't know if they're what, bad. I think they're probably just not as good uh, as those amazings. What was the best of the four? If you're like, if you could separate I, them. I would pick number nine. I agree. I think so too. And I think you know, if I had to pick one that was maybe not the best, I'd probably pick number eight, the issue with Man Killer. I think. I think they were hitting us over the head with what they were trying to say. Maybe they could have been a little bit more subtler with uh, the point they were trying to make. I I think the bad one might have been I think the last one was was equally bad 11. The Inhumans show up and you only have to have a fight in every Spider-Man issue. Even if there's not, you have to fight somebody. So the Inhumans show up and he's like Spider-Man's like, "Okay, let's go through time." They go through time. And then they're like, oh, no, we're here like three minutes early. And he's like, OK, well, instead of going the way where we beat up all the villains, let's go a different way. So then all the Inhumans have to use all their abilities to fight bad guys. And then they have to fight again. It's just like fight, 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 fight. And they well, they had to set up that reveal. I, we didn't even mention that in the podcast. We didn't even talk about no, this. No, we didn't. Because it, it was just kind of like stupid. Yeah, That's it was kind of obvious, I think. Yeah, like, oh, who's who's going to come through this time door? I'm like, yeah, I've watched Bill and Ted's. I know they're talking to each other. Yeah. I know Spider-Man's going to be there both times. I, it was not even worth it. Yeah, that, that first book was kind of trash, but I like to give you that, like, M. Night Shyamalan effect of, like, by the way, you know, AIM is supporting you. Bum, bum, bum. You're being Shocking. supported by men, man killer. That's right. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. And then she's just, like, standing there, like, when Spider-Man let the kingpin, like, walk away. They're like, well, guess I don't have to defend Because he did it again, right? They're like, oh, man killer. You can just stand here. I'm going to leave now. They just left her, yeah. Yeah, you kill politicians, Spider-Man don't care. He, walk, <laughs> he walks away. Spider-Man's terrible. Why do I do this podcast? <laughs>